very delighted and honored on this episode of Words, Images, and Worlds to be talking with comics creator, prolific person in the world of visual reading materials, Mr. Richard Pace. May I call you Richard? Is that okay? I prefer Richard, yes. All right. All right. Uh, thank you for joining. Thank you for talking with me for a few minutes today. My pleasure. Yeah. I, I believe I've interrupted your drawing. Uh, I believe you were fully no, engaged. <laughs> um, I'm always fully engaged in my drawing. Um, what happened is, is like I, I discussed earlier, is I set alarms on my phone to bully me around what things I have to do by certain times. Mm -hmm. And I, um, as soon as you sent me the, uh, I'm, I'm seeing it now. I, I, I don't know what I, what I did on it, but um, I, I set an alarm on my phone for one o'clock today for the meeting and it didn't go off. So it works. It works. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Uh, yeah. I was going to ask about, I, I know you probably can't share the details of what you're working on at the moment, but just curious uh, what's currently inspiring you on the page. Right now in front of me are um, finishing off the layouts for a Conan novel that oh, uh, Heroic Flash Titans putting out. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a big novel. Do I have it? No, I just have my notes here. Uh, I, I I hate working from digital. Like Occasionally I'll read a digital book, mm -hmm. but I, I hate needing one of those as reference. So I printed out the whole damn thing. It's like a 500-page novel. I <laughs> uh, printed out the whole thing over at my local Staples. And I went through and I made no. I had because. Have you ever done any illustration briefs at all in your career? No, no, I haven't. I, I wish. I wish. All right. So the the premise is, and I wish I wish that all the notes stuff were in any other room right now. Um, assign, uh, 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 as a book assignment, I'll get a copy of the manuscript most of the time, mm -hmm. and then I'll get um. Uh, four to whatever number of illustration prompts and they'll refer to a specific page and what subject they want me to do an illustration based on mm -hmm. but a lot of times those characters that are in that sequence they're described like 10 20 pages earlier yeah right so it's like um that's that info is not enough unless i'm doing such a generic level of design for the whole book that it doesn't matter and this book it kind of matters so it's like I'd read about half of it on my on my desktop, and I'm like, I hate reading like this. <laughs> Printed out, went through, and I got like so many post-it notes through this whole book, and it's like I color coded them. Okay, so like illustration A is pink, so all my notes referring to illustration A are these little pink tab notes uh -huh, going through uh -huh. the manuscript, and then uh, illustration B is like pale blue, so I do pale blue, and eventually you run out, so then you have to start doing like letter tabs, like this is B. Right, pink B type of thing, and um, I find that it's it's part of the process. It slows you down at the beginning because you're reading. I know so many artists who never read manuscripts. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and it's like it's like I, I was sitting next down, sitting down next to someone at a convention like many years ago, and I had just got another assignment. Uh, this is for a role playing company, and I had like all the briefs with me because I figured if it was a slow con, I'd do some work. Yeah, you know. Well, you you read the manuscript, right? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you do? I said, I draw. And if there's something I'm missing, they tell me to add it. And if there's something added that's not supposed to be there, they tell me to take it away. And I'm like, interesting. That has got to be the laziest approach. And I, <laughs> I get how it works. Uh, he just he just makes the editor catch his mistakes. And I'm like, I, I prefer not to make them. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and then you have to go in and redo and take things out and put things in. That just seems. Well, well if it's if it's a, especially if it's a big thing like a compositional element that you're relying on, mm -hmm. if suddenly it's gone and you're like, well, I have to start over from scratch. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I uh, I get that there's a certain generic approach to a lot of fantasy, science fiction, horror type stuff, especially horror. Um, but to just take an assignment and not consider <laughs> understanding the assignment is, is part of the job. Yeah. I never understood that. Never understood that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the time that you put into it by all means. Um, you, you've been working in comics and creating for quite some time. Uh, and I certainly have my favorite titles, but I'm curious, who are the best people that you've worked with? Who are some of the most positive collaborations that have been, you know, really kind and fruitful. Um, it's it's always easiest to to lean into that 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 super sense of positivity and say the current people I'm working with are the best people I'm working with. But in many right. ways, it's true. This is the first time that working with a writer, I got we're, we're working Marvel style on this Savage sort of Conan story. I'm doing for issue two of the the new relaunch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh jim wrote a marvel style plot and because nice. jim zub is local to me and he's we're in the same uh gaming group uh i just showed up early uh, a couple of a uh, couple of days in a row and we went and i just did layouts with him and oh, wow. uh, the back and forth we ended up coming up with so much more just talking back and forth as we went through than if I just did my usual old like Marvel style, break it down. Here's the storytelling here. I added some punchy bits. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's, it's just, uh, so that, that, that was a, a truly best of writer experience with me. Um, I think before that you have to go to James Robinson and mm -hmm. Starmare. I mean, there's been some good, good collaborations uh over the years um but in terms of a whole issue i mean it wasn't just because it was james robinson because archie goodwin was a part of it yeah and that's how i got to meet archie and that, that was good that was good so yeah those are yeah. those are probably the two best highlights i guess nice nice i i had jim's up on a few episodes ago and, and just a very kind person and clearly knows his stuff talking about the conan yeah. lore yeah oh, god yeah yeah it's it's so amazing sitting down with him and uh it's like he'll he'll half remember something and i'll remember the other half i'll have to remember something he'll remember it because i i've been conan's a big part of why i'm doing comics which yeah. is weird uh because along the way I, I fell in love with vertigo and i thought well i'm just gonna be a vertigo guy because at the time marvel was doing such a terrible job with conan yeah. um i just didn't want to be a part of that and then now vertigo is gone and i'm doing conan so, hey it, it all comes around it all comes around it works out it works out it's uh it drawing this big is 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 weird yeah yeah because it's a magazine magazine sized co uh, comic um i'm drawing to scale to the eight and a half by 11 sheets so that the pages are i've had some stuff online here we go here's a page i've been working on now with uh, streaming so it's it's just oh, huge wow. i mean your yeah. standard comic page do i have one Here's a uh, standard 11 by eight and a half by 11, sorry, 11 by 17 sheets. So that it, it fits your standard full comic sheet fits inside the art area. Wow. Yeah. Or 
So it's, uh, yeah. It's fun. It's fun, though. <laughs> Working that big and that different. I'm using the whole arm a lot more instead of, like, drawing with the wrist. So it's it's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah, so. cool. Um, now, you, you have, as I mentioned, a, a history in the medium and uh, particular stories and, and story types that kind of bubble up from time to time, like Pitt, of course, comes to mind. Um, Doom that came to Gotham, which is one of my favorite uh, elsewhere else worlds there we go stories uh i'm curious about the kind of story that that captures you that grabs you sort of the the space that you like to create in um well i've always been a horror guy um yeah, yeah. i think i think the biggest um transformational experience for me as a comics fan because uh, I mean, as, as a kid, I was aware of Spider-Man and Batman and all that stuff. And, you know, if you do a family road trip, you always got that big poly bag full of comics from Kmart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so you ended up reading one of these giant sizes, which would have like a 1930s era Batman story. And you go, what the hell was this? <laughs> so, so I was I was very hyper aware of, of superhero comics. And uh, because of Savage Sword, which my first exposure to it was an issue standing in my local Max Milk in Winnipeg when I was growing up. And I was like looking at this cover of Conan being attacked by these uh, satyrs. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the hell is going on in that book? And I pick it up and it's, uh, it's John Bishima drawings. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> so that turned me to super Conan head. I was reading the Robert E. Howard stuff that was out of time and everything. But I think the biggest experience when I decided that I really should make a go of it as a comic artist, because that's what Frank Frazetta did before he became Frank Frazetta. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, a friend of mine said, have you read Swamp Thing? And he said, I've heard of it. I, I remember some of those gorgeous comics when I was a little kid. Yeah. Uh, but so, no, it's a very different thing now, because Alan Moore had been writing it for like four or five issues at this point. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I managed to snag all those comics like right away on one one just one swoop because they're all in the stands yet people haven't caught on and i was like like the anatomy lesson and oh, yeah. <laughs> even even just you know looking for uh arcane's body in the issue before uh no it would just no, sorry not, not um the soldiers finding swamp thing's body in the issue before which is kind of like the transitional issue that no one ever talks about mm-hmm. and just and just the level of play of language and the relationship to words and pictures there I just kind of went oh you can do this you can yeah. do this in comics and in, in rapid succession as i'm like this is this is when i'm becoming a comic lover um uh frank miller's doing uh born again mm-hmm. um and about to do year one with mazzicelli uh dark knight returns is about to come out uh v for vendetta watchman uh alan moore is uh, had all these short stories to show up everywhere uh howard shaken's american flag mm-hmm. service at the time uh there was so 11 rockets there were so many things for like you know, uh 15 16 year old kid to be looking at and going oh my god that that, that how were how comics always just like crappy green lantern stories before <laughs> right, right and now they're like everything I mean, it's it's like going from like, you know, being disappointed that, you know, ostensibly a, Green Lantern's always been kind of like my my favorite superhero. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I do enjoy a, a Green Lantern story. <laughs> I love the concept. I just find the execution with the character so terrible everywhere. Because um, <laughs> it, it's like 
it, he's a space cop. Sorry if I'm digressing, but he's no, a space you're fine. You're fine. And 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 just I was like, I was never a great science student, but I was a great science reader. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about all the weird anomalies that we are just beginning to understand in our at the time in the 80s about space and reading Carl Sagan and all that stuff. It's like being a space cop would be the most bizarre borderline hallucinogenic experience anyone could have. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I remember one time I was talking to a then this is the early nineties, then assistant Green Lantern era. And I expe- I explained it's like, well, what do they do when they're traveling across vast distances? He says, Well, no, it's 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 Green Lantern. He, j- he just goes there. I said, No, that's not how it works. <laughs> Right. And he just looked at me and he goes, what do you what do you care? It's not real. It's not real science. I'm saying, well, you're dropping the ball then. Yeah. I mean, what makes Green Lantern unique if it's not the fact he's a space cop? And he said, well, it's more like Aladdin in the lamp. And I said, well, then, then he's no better than any of your other heroes. There's nothing unique to him anymore. Yeah. Well, you, well, you got the Guardians. He, he started defending Green Lantern based on the science fantasy tropes. Uh-huh. That were around for Buck Rogers and everything. I'm saying it's like, yeah, but you're not using anything to make it real now. I, uh-huh. I think I, I I gave up for good during Jeff Johns's run because he had some glimmers of potential, but he seemed more interested in ripping off old Alan Moore ideas and actually doing something cool, moving Green Lantern forward. Uh-huh. Uh, at that point, I quit. I, people will go, "Oh, it's a great Green Lantern run." I go, "The bar is so low." <laughs> to me, oh, 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 oh. anyway. Yeah, Sorry, yeah. but yeah, so it's like um, Al- Alamore's Swamp Thing. Oh my God, and Alamore's Green Lantern stories. Let's go there. Um, <laughs> and pretty much everything he did, uh, everything Howard Chaykin had done at that point, uh, Hernandez Brothers, I mean, they're still producing amazing work now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've paved the way for so many new voices to come along and just do uh, amazing things. I'm, I'm really terrible at... Uh, uh, younger writer, younger writers, more recent writers' names like uh, there's Tom King who does good work. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um who, who did the Abominable Hulk run? Um, is that all the uh... Alex Ross? Oh, sorry. Yeah, it's I, I, his name's on the tip of my tongue. He's a great guy. He's done some really really artful stuff. Uh, Jim um, Rugg is that Jim Rugg? No, he did the uh, the retelling the whole history of it. That big big. Um, oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The big. I'm thinking of um, had all the Alex Ross covers, so that would be. I will. Okay. They're, they're, I just I just shelved them all too because I finally I, I finally got them all together. Yeah. Um. Anyway, it's 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 creatively outside of Marvel and DC comics are, have never been more alive. Yeah. And um. I never would have thought that I would go a year without buying a Marvel DC book sometimes. And, yeah. and you just kind of realize it's like, and then, and then some, when you buy them, you kind of like, I picked up that really beautiful gargoyle of Gotham book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh my God. I love that guy's work. The comic book is terrible, but boy, is it pretty. It is. Boy, a, is it it is a really, I, I like that. Visually trying to book. do something new. Yeah. I, I like that they're trying to do something new, but but it's it's kind of weird. If it's if they're trying to get something new from the writer's end, 
when when they're writing for DC or Marvel, it seems like they're writing for TV. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're not writing good comics. They're writing TV comics. And uh, so there hasn't been a good Batman read since. I'm trying to think of the last time I enjoyed a good Batman comic. <laughs> it's it's a moment. It's a moment's pause. It's, it's I mean, um, I liked Doom that came to Gotham. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I might be biased on that. That was that that tried something different around twenty some odd years ago. Yeah. I, there's gotta be um uh, there was a pretty good one with um when they revealed that Gordon had a son mm-hmm. and he was crazy. Uh, I think it was called uh the black coffin or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think I know the so one had, the one of which it, he had, it had it had moments in it. Um but then, then you realize that um, all the good stuff, and this has almost always been true, all the good stuff comes from the edges. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where, where editorial is not paying attention, it's like, well, yeah, no one really cares about Swamp Thing. Um, <laughs> the guy who created it kind of cares about it because he's editing it still. So let's bring in this British guy. Who cares? And suddenly right. Swamp Thing's like probably one of the most enduring evergreen books DC's ever published. And and they only let you do something interesting like that with a main character is if you're Frank Miller and you've already established you set the world on fire with everything you touch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, Ronan underperformed, but it was create creatively spectacular. So it's like it was kind of like, well, we we got the A list actor from that studio to do this movie that he really wanted to do. It didn't do great, but now we can get him to do like a James Bond movie. Mm-hmm. And we know James Bond's going to make a lot of money. So then he does Dark Knight. And DC, I mean, this this is comic culture in general. DC's then marketing guy sent out a warning email to all the uh, retailers, cautioning them not to over too heavy on, on Dark Knight because remember Ronan. <laughs> I mean, it's like, this story got told to me. I was sitting at it was a post convention experience. I was sitting right across from Will Eisner, which was an experience, I'm and sure. a whole bunch of other people. And Will started defending the company, which is something you eventually realize Will always does. Mm-hmm. Did, and and I just kind of went, okay. So I'm Frank Miller, and I'm doing this big deal Batman book. And the guy in charge of helping sell the book as much as possible because I get royalties on it is right. telling retailers not to order too heavily on it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and 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 Will's like, well, no, no, the company's got to take care of the retailers because that's the longer-term relationship. I said, yeah, no, your bigger relationship is with the people creating your books. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Right? So if you're stabbing your creator in the back saying that we're going to try and reduce your royalty artificially by reducing the print run in the first run. Yeah. And and and, and, and to also find out they already knew they were going to have to do a second printing. So pushing more sales to a second printing would actually pay out less to Frank. Wow. Right. And I only found, and I didn't know that at that time. I found that out later. Um, but at the time I was like, I said, no, 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 no. I think if I was Frank Miller, I'd say, well, you know what? Uh, let's renegotiate the back end here that, so that if you do multiple printings, I get my royalty starting from copy one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Because you got some, some guy out there sabotaging my sales. Yeah. Right? Wow. I, I, I don't know if Frank, Frank Miller at that time probably could have like been the tail wagging the dog enough at that point. 
because everyone knew Dark Knight was just going to be the biggest thing ever. Mm-hmm. And um, and to have someone actually at DC essentially crapping on it while they're trying to sell it, not a good look. No, and and it's and Marvel and DC have done that again and again and again and again. They they put what they perceive as their corporate best interests far ahead of the the books. Uh, well, and then who's who's making your stuff? You know, if you're stabbing your creators in the back. Well, the, there's the the attitude is, and they're not entirely wrong, is that there's always people young and hungry enough to take the job. Mm. I mean, it's it's uh, this is a cruder tournament, but I, I basically said at, at some point Marvel's going to say which creators will need the most shit to work for us, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and 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 you look at the lines of books uh they could occasionally put out a really pretty book mm-hmm. they occasionally put but you know that creative team isn't going to stay there visually because marvel's going to move them off at some point right they have all these weird internal rules about you know how much we can afford to pay an artist on a book so the, each book has to have a return on investment mm-hmm. so you can't put an expensive artist on a b or c tier list book uh, in hopes of increasing sales because he's already too he or she is already too expensive at the start. Wow. Right? Wow. It, yeah. It, yeah. And um, so when you see, oh God, it's every it's every week now, it seems like comics are dying is a new new spin on the old narrative comics are dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone's definition of comics are dying is how well Marvel and DC is doing. And they almost don't matter. Yeah. We're on the cusp of them not mattering. Um, there's, there's retailers out there, and rightly so. They know their bottom line. They know how much of their orders and their discounts are tied to Marvel DC sales numbers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Um, so when I say they almost don't matter, I don't mean that they don't mean economic. If they disappeared to be economic damage, uh, of course there would be. But what's happening now is is they're increasingly making themselves irrelevant. Yeah. Any any comic shop that survives from now to three years from now, if Marvel and DC continues to shrink it the way they do, the retailer that exists three years from now is going to be less dependent on Marvel and DC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the less dependent retailers are on Marvel and DC, the less power Marvel and DC has to move sales. We're yeah. at the point now where Marvel Marvel and DC can still kind of bully a book into higher sales. Um through talking, finagling, offering slightly higher discounts of returnability. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not investing in the creators well enough to make the books worth being bullied over. Mm-hmm. And the longer that goes on, I mean, it's like um, the big announcements for Marvel now are who, who, which editors are moving around. Right. Because, I mean, uh, apart from Jason Aaron and um, I didn't actually want to say Jason Aaron. I wanted to say um, Hickman. That's who I wanted to say. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Apart, from Hickman, Hickman. apart from Hickman and uh, one or two other writers who can write, uh, Marvel doesn't seem to have anyone able to move a needle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, there, there's there's the theory that Mark Millar, all this nonsense where he's flirting with the alt-right and everything, yeah. is largely his preamble to go back to Marvel at DC. Um, which doesn't make sense to me. Uh, he has more to lose at that point, right? right. But um, 
what what is Marvel doing other than keeping IP alive for the next movie or TV series? Yeah, and it has to be more than that. It has to. Well, it has to. I mean, it's like imagine. I, I can imagine if your job has been getting those books out, and it's been your job for forty years. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter, right? You're probably tired, and you're just marking time till retirement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But imagine if you came in and said, "I want to make books that people are going to read," and you're at Marvel. And you're not allowed to do anything. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I, I've 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 heard this secondhand, so I don't know if it's true. But if someone pitched an idea at a summit, and they're told that's too close to what they might be doing in a year or two in the movies, so we can't do it. <laughs> and like the movies are largely predicated on stuff that's already been done in the comics. Yeah. So I would I would say greenlight everything, no matter how bizarre. I would rather lose readers over doing something too experimental mm-hmm, mm-hmm. over losing reader, readers doing something terribly safe on so many levels so that it is essentially baby food. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's that's the bigger issue with comics these days and any other politics or anything. It's it's the fear of offending specific groups apart from groups who are going to look for reasons to be offended. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the actual fear of offending anyone is having greater interference with the effect of any creative honesty in the books. The yeah. books are, they lack integrity. I mean, who really, who really cares um, what happens to characters that aren't going to be in any book six months from now? Right. Or I mean, they get upset. Uh, yeah. I mean, because I, I believe the whole Hickman X Men run experiment's done now. Like the whole Krakoa, mm-hmm. uh, infinite infinite clones of X Men thing. I think that has that ground down. It's been about four years now. That's usually, yeah. usually the cycle of how they. So all that's gone. So now the new writers have to come in and explain away the last four years mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to try and tell new X Men stories. But the X Men has been going on pretty much nonstop since the late seventies. Yeah. Uh, apart from the uh, the reprint era, um, so we're talking fifty years of nonstop comics, often with two to four books a month on on the stands dealing with the main continuity of the X Men. Where do you where do you have room for new? Right. Where, right. Where, where do you have room for new unless you let the creators go crazy crazy places? Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of this is part of what's driving creators to other companies, Kickstarters, those sort of their own projects and their own things. Yeah, it's um, I remember at one point I had this ghostwriter story I wanted to do for a long, long time, and it felt like a ghostwriter story. So I just eventually Marvel will let me do this ghostwriter story. Um, I, I made the mistake of telling it to a friend writer of mine, and he goes, "You can't do that with anyone else." I was thinking, "Well, I was going to do it on my own," but this guy was a big enough deal. I said, "Okay, if you if you if you get Marvel to say yes to it, let's work on it." Comes back to me like about two weeks later, and he says, "You know, Marvel will not do any stories that touch on actual heaven or hell anymore. They're too afraid of pissing off people." Interesting. So and, there was and... that weird there was that weird <laughs> run where you know Ghost Rider went to heaven and hell. We'll mm-hmm. never do that again. They'll never do that again. Huh. And and, and that... the phrase actual heaven or hell is is an interesting one too. 
because um, if you dig down, I remember reading one of those articles years ago where they kind of established that that Jesus Christ doesn't really exist in the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, it was a real, it really like why don't they? And it's so clear that the people doing the comics weren't thinking that deep. <laughs> but they haven't done a story that established that Christianity is real. Mm-hmm. Um, they have all these supernatural. Oh, um, you muted there. Sorry, I don't know how that happened. No, uh, you're all coming. I just said that. You're all back. right, good. Yeah, so they've done all these supernatural things about the history of the Marvel Universe, but um, that's it. And then you go to DC where they actually have angels. Mm-hmm. And they have a creation moment that's been in a couple of their comic books. Um, but they're vague enough. Uh, they're apart from the Spectre, and the Spectre talking about God, and I believe what's the name of the angel that actually joined the JLA at one point? Not Azrael, because that was the anti-Batman guide. Um actually got our own book at one point. You're probably remembering vaguely what I'm talking about. Yes, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah the Grant Morrison, Grant Morrison thing. But I mean, so it's like DC has God, uh, the 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 being that the Spectre serves, and it actually has heaven and hell because you know that Swamp Thing angel. Mm-hmm. But Marvel doesn't doesn't. Interesting. Yeah. And unless unless they change something recently, I remember there was like they've done some weird weird in the good way stories like they i mean wolverine's established as an atheist in the books mm-hmm. but then nightcrawler a friend of mine gave me the comic that's how we know this story uh nightcrawler gave wolverine a piano to deliver to a monastery atop a mountain and if i remember correctly they've already established that wolverine's gone to hell at this point <laughs> right so he's actually been in marvel's hell uh-huh. but they do the story to kind of go oh Maybe that crawler's a uh, maybe he believes in God. That's not a terrible thing, right? And like I go like, what? <laughs> right, right. I mean, even even in a story where it's like, okay, you have a character who's gone to hell, come back. So if if he was going to convert, it would have been upon seeing Mephisto or something, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also Wolverine's seen aliens and alien gods, so it's like maybe he just goes it's more shit. Say. But dragging a piano to the top of a mountain kind of made him go, hmm. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's 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 comics, man. It's comics. There, there's there's a reason why I think all the good stuff is being done outside of Marvel or DC right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, well, glad to celebrate your work and looking forward to the the work that is coming on Conan. Um, any, anything that you want to mention as far as a milestone, any particular um, titles, characters, uh, and collaborative experiences before we before we drop? I, I've got about five more minutes on my Zoom, and then I have to. All right, okay. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, true. I, I I I tend to digress a lot. No, no, uh, you're good. It's, it's interesting. Uh, uh, we're about to start the fourth arc of Second Coming. Uh, yes, yeah, Mark Russell. And, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, uh, with a with Ahoy Comics and Leonard Kirk and Andy Troy, he does colors on Leonard's work. Um, yeah, so it's it's volume four. Um, if if you've been following the series, you know we left off in a very weird spot with arc three, mm-hmm. and it just it just gets stranger. It, this is this is um, 
for a series, I was I was asked when I was asked about this book first time because something something else I was supposed to do fell through. Um, believe it or not, Conan, but uh, at Dark Horse, <laughs> uh, I got asked by uh, by my editor for this project, would I like to be a part of the next preacher? Mm-hmm. And of course. Right, right. And uh, reading the uh, the then, I think, third draft of the first issue of Second Coming, I was like, this ain't Preacher. <laughs> this ain't Preacher at all. And uh, it was it was different and everything. And people were getting upset about it and they haven't read it. And I read the issue and I knew it was it was really safe. It was mm-hmm. a real safe first issue. Um, and so I, I kind of pushed things in that first issue. Like, uh, the, 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 Mark made a typo and made the trees of knowledge of good and evil. Uh-huh. And, and that's, I decided, well, I'm going to gender the trees. One's going to be male, one's going to be female. And the fruit's going to have similar genital gendering. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, that just felt like a natural joke for like a preacher successor. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The pushback I got. On that, <laughs> and and it, it was that it was that I got pushback at Vertigo. Uh, technically, I got pushback from DC, but they weren't going to fight too hard with it because I just said no. It's, that's joking the book, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Then we went over to Ahoy, and uh, I, th- I think I think the the joke made Mark really nervous. Yeah, because yeah. he's a very he's a very gentle, sensitive guy. He's really caring. He doesn't want to just offend to people for offense' sake. But he asked Tom, uh, our editor on 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 uh, on the book at the time at Ahoy. So Tom asked me. I said, you know, I I really think you know everyone's so upset, and we have so many defenders of this book, and none of them have read it. If our defenders of our book get the book, and there isn't at least one joke they understand why the religious right would be offended, mm-hmm. they're going to feel disappointed. And Tom went, you know what? I think you're right. <laughs> so, and then then it comes out, and and, and it seemed like I, I I didn't read many reviews, but I read a handful of reviews, and every single one of them mentioned that that joke. Uh-huh. I went, all right, run solo, yeah. So, uh, well, Richard, great, great to talk with you. I feel like we could do a second part of our episode at some point uh, if Absolutely. you're up for it sometime. Um, sure. Yeah, uh, thanks for taking the time, and I will make sure to share this back with you once I get all right. it all edited and put together. So, all right, sounds great. I, I will let you return to your your Conan pages, and once more, yeah. looking forward to it. All right, thank you so much. You have a great day. You too. Thanks so much.